Welcome to the Aging Well Podcast. I'm Jeff Armstrong, here with Corbin Bruton. In this and the episodes that follow, we will share candid discussions on aging and hear from the experts. We are here to inform and encourage as we experience, well, aging. In today's episode, Corbin and I talk about the 5x5 Strength Program for beginning lifters, squatting technique, and general programming for aging well. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So for the start of the new year, obviously there's a few individuals that are out there and they're, they're wanting to hit their goals or they've fallen off the bandwagon and they're wanting to get back into shape. And a lot of questions that I personally get is what is a good thing for me to hit my goals and stay on track? And today I would actually like to talk about a five by five program. So what is a five by five program? A 5x5 program is a workout with heavy weights of compound movements, specifically squats, bench press, deadlift, an overhead press, and rows. Let's talk about an actual 5x5 program, the benefits of it, an ideal format of a 5x5 program. Okay, well, I mean, the 5x5 program has been around for years, probably one of the most well-known would be the Smart Lifts 5x5, which any of the 5x5s are going to incorporate what I call the Basic 5, and I'm probably not novel in calling it the five, you know, not the Basic 5, but you have the squat, the deadlift, the row, the bench press, and the overhead press. Those are really five fundamental movements. Uh, the sixth fundamental movement that I'd probably count in there as well is um, loaded carries. Uh, which isn't included, but it definitely um, could be a part of the program as well. But the basics of the 5x5 five five is that you're just doing generally three exercises in a workout. So a combination of those five exercises, and you're doing five sets of five. Those are five working sets. So it doesn't include your warm-up sets. But you're doing generally five sets of the same weight for five sets. And when you are able to complete all five sets of five repetitions successfully in proper form and, you know, without a great struggle, then you move up in weight generally anywhere from about five to 10 pounds for the next workout and you just progress that. Uh, The downside of the five by five is eventually you are going to plateau. You can't just keep adding five pounds every workout. You know, the smart lifts five by five often begins people with a 45 pound bar and then you add five to 10 pounds each workout. Well, if you're adding 15 pounds every week, you know, do the math and, you know, where are you going to be at the end of a 52 week year? Um, Nobody can progress that much. And so eventually the beginner is going to get to a point where the weights become heavy and the increases are going to be less and less frequent And then we start talking about maybe changing the programming to something else. Uh, The benefit of the 5x5 is that it is a moderate number of repetitions. It falls within the range for hypertrophy as well as strength. And so for somebody who has more general goals, they're not a bodybuilder, they're not a power lifter, but they want to get stronger and they want to overall improve their physique, it's a great program to start with. So it's almost not just for athletes, it's for a beginner as well, a novice, and maybe even individual in a geriatric community could possibly do it because it's only five sets of five reps yeah, of these it, things. It is, it is not a program for athletes. I would, I would definitely stress that. Um, most athletes are going to be well advanced beyond the five by five and are going to need a more refined periodization in order to accomplish their athletic goals. Uh, It is definitely for the novice, the beginner, as opposed to an intermediate or an advanced lifter, uh, just simply because the weights that you'll be lifting, if you're an advanced lifter, even an intermediate lifter, you're lifting too much to really be able to do, you know, 
five kind of maximum sets of squats, say three days a week. So uh, it is definitely something that is more of a beginner. For the geriatric, I think it's ideal. Uh, and not only a geriatric, I mean, really at any age. Uh, my son, when he really got serious about starting to lift, you know, at about 14, 15, really started him at the five by five. Um, I know a lot of the, the textbooks and exercise science will generally recommend higher repetitions for the beginner. I tend to lean more toward the lower because for somebody who is just beginning, just learning technique, it becomes a lot more difficult to maintain proper technique the more repetitions you're doing. Now, there's a certain benefit to doing high repetitions because the high repetitions, you're repeating the technique, you're learning the technique. But there's also that possibility of the technique falling off and the weight being low enough that you begin to kind of ingrain those poor techniques into your mindset, into your, your, your motor control, and you don't learn to do the lift properly. Five repetitions is ideal to me for performing proper repetitions, um, getting an, an adequate amount of fatigue, and being able to overload the muscles to stimulate hypertrophy. So for a young person, old person, anybody starting out, it's an ideal way to begin to build up that strength in a way that you're going to maintain good technique under a heavier load and maintain that for the duration of your, you know, your, your exercise career, whatever that might be. So what's an ideal range for them to lift heavy enough to where they're going to see results, they're going to have the effects on their body of for hypertrophy, um, they're going to see the benefits, but they're also not going to put themselves in a state of injuries. Um, I know a lot of studies out there, they say that the ideal range is about 85% of their one rep max, but a lot of people that are out there, they they don't know what that is. And, and I don't think they need to know their one repetition maximum. Um yeah, I think the one repetition maximum is great for the sports performance training, the Olympic lifting, and those types of things where you're really focused on your PR, your personal record. Um, but for the average person just lifting, to worry about percentages, I mean, you can estimate it. Uh, you can certainly do, say, a five repetition maximum, how many how much weight you can lift for five maximum repetitions before your technique falls apart. And there are countless different sites on the internet where you can go to estimate your one repetition maximum. You know, when you do a one repetition maximum, A, you need a spotter there who is qualified to make sure that you're not going to hurt yourself and drop the weight on yourself. Um, there is an increased risk of injury. And as a novice beginner or an older person, do we really need to risk injury to prove how much we can bench or squat or deadlift or whatever? So the 1RM isn't necessary, which means coming up with a percentage isn't necessary as well. You can do it a little bit more on, like, you know, well, this, this feels roughly, you know, my perceived exertion is about 85% of what I think I can maximally lift. You're going to be in a decent range there. But for something like the 5x5, five five, your goal is to complete five repetitions. And if you can do that and you're struggling a little bit on that last set, you're, you're at the weight that you should be. Whether that's 80%, 85%, 82%, whatever it might be, it's an adequate resistance to overload the muscle. And so a lot of times... I'll talk in terms of repetitions in the tank, you know, that we're not always going to maximum failure. And really, um, particularly as we're aging and as we're beginning weightlifters, going to complete failure when you're doing multiple sets is both unsafe and sometimes counterproductive. So I would recommend just, you know, trying to keep about 
zero to say two or three repetitions in the tank, meaning that we can still do a couple more if we really pushed it out. And if you feel like you've done your five sets and on that last set, you maybe could have squeaked out one more repetition, uh, it's probably time to, to move up. You know, if you get to that last set and you get the last rep up, but it's a real struggle and your form is starting to break down a little bit, it may not be wise to necessarily go up and wait the next time. Um, if you can, if you feel like I've done that five sets of five repetitions and I probably could have cranked out, you know, five more repetitions on that last set, then you probably need to move it up a little bit more than just five pounds the next workout. I think that's a good measuring tool for me personally. I know what I'm doing, my my workouts, especially with resistance training, whether it's a five by five program or whether it is a three by twelve program, on my last two reps, I'm fighting the entire way. I am doing everything in my power to make sure that it gets up with good form and good technique, obviously, but it is a struggle. And then once I get to a part where, you know, after I'm say doing a bench press, once I'm able to continue doing like you said, and I get to the the very last rep and I'm like, man, I probably could have squeezed an extra one out. I either will squeeze an extra one out or that's a good indication for me personally to say, okay, let's add some more weight on this. So I do like what you're saying as far as get a spotter who knows what they're doing. I think that's absolutely critical. I also know that a warm-up is going to be really, really important as well. A lot of individuals, they're like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing, I've made the decision. I'm doing a five by five program or I'm doing a three by 12 program and I'm, I'm not going to warm up. I'm just going to dive right in. How important is a warm up before an exercise? A warm up in general is important. How you warm up is a bit individualized. Uh, you can simply just get your whole body warmed up by doing some calisthenic kind of stuff or, you know, five minutes on a bike, you know, just something to get the blood flowing. And there's nothing wrong with necessarily, especially in a five by five, when you are a beginner and you're not really lifting a lot of weight, there's not a lot to warm up. You know, if you're starting a five by five program as a true beginner with a 45 pound bar, there's not a lot to warm up. Uh, you know, maybe if you, you know, air squats, just body weight squats to kind of get the motion down, you know, to recognize your technique. But, you know, you're putting an empty bar on your back. There's not much you, you know, again, you can warm up. The heavier the weights are going to be for that workout, then the more important that warm up becomes. So I think it, it really just matters a bit more on the individual uh, with the five by five, you could also consider anytime you're doing multiple sets of the same weight, those first sets are going to be more of a warm up because your body is fresh, you're not fatigued, uh, you're doing the t you know you're doing it in good technique, you're not really straining, so your body is warming up, and by the time you get to that fifth set, now you're really pushing it. You're Muscle fibers have been fatigued and you're really kind of straining the last few fibers that you have. So when a five by five program, obviously we talked about the the big five of squats, bench press, deadlift, overhead press and rows. I know there's going to be an individual that's going to be listening to this and they're like, OK, I'm just going to go to the gym and I'm just going to do all five of those workouts every single day. You and I both know that's going to be that's that's not an ideal format of a five by five. So to help a novice lifter, what is an ideal format? Should it be every single day? Should it be three days a week? What's your opinion on this? I honestly don't think there is an ideal, um, and nobody listening could see my air air quotes there, but um, you know, it really depends on your recoverability. Um, personally, I have no problem with doing five days a week, the same exercise, but your progression will probably likely be slower. Um, initially, you know, for a beginner that may actually be beneficial because the higher frequency, the better you are mastering the technique because you're learning, 
you know, we all know repetition helps us to learn. And so the more frequently we're doing something might actually benefit uh, with learning the technique. But as we get stronger, we're going to need more recovery. You know, so somebody that is squatting, you know, 135 pounds for five by five, they might be able to do that three, four, even five times per week. But somebody that is squatting 400 pounds is going to need more time to recover from that. And so you really have to gauge your recovery. And I really favor some terminology that I learned from Dr. Mike Isratel from Renaissance Periodization. Um, he's, uh, I think, a pretty renowned sports scientist, uh, has been in academics, but is now just primarily focused on Renaissance periodization and, you know, teaching their technique, you find them on the internet pretty easily, you know, just Google either Mike Isratel or uh, Renaissance periodization. But in his writings, he talks a lot about the volumes that we should be training and maximum recoverable volume is a term or just MRV because that's a lot easier to say than maximal recoverable volume. Um, but the MRV is how much volume you can do in a workout or in a workout period and still recover to be able to do whatever the intended goal or progression is in the next workout. And so if I can bench 225 pounds for five sets of five on Monday, and if I can come in on Tuesday and do a little bit more, come in on Wednesday and do a little bit more, I'm recovering. I'm fine to be doing that. But if I'm finding that as I'm add, trying to add weight, coming in increasingly fatigued and my body isn't recovered wholly, then that's not enough. I mean, I mean it's too much work that I'm doing. Um, so we have to gauge how much we can recover from. And generally, we don't want to be at that maximum recoverable volume to where we're pushing so hard that we're just barely able to get the next workout in. Uh, it, the next volume is your minimum effective volume. This is the minimum amount of volume you have to do in order for the body to adapt. And there's advantages to that, and maybe that's something we kind of talk about in a future podcast. But you know, minimum effective volume to your maximum recoverable volume is what's considered kind of the, the sweet spot or the golden zone of training that your training should be somewhere in between there for all of the lifts that you're doing if you want to either see adaptation or, well, if you want to see adaptation. Now, in some cases, uh, as we say we're focusing in on specific lifts, we're really trying to build up my squ our squat or deadlift, and we can't push all the muscle groups to a near maximum level and so some of those, sometimes we back off of to maintain, and that's your maintenance volume. That's how much you need to do just to maintain the gains that you've made. And so th those volumes are worth considering as we're trying to design our programming. We want to be somewhere between a minimum effective volume and our maximum recoverable volume in order to be able to promote an adaptive effect. The more we stay near that minimum, maybe the longer it's going to take us to adapt. I mean, if I add just one pound every workout, I'm adapting, I'm growing, but I probably could be lifting five more pounds every workout and adapting much more rapidly. Um, so those are just things to consider as we do something like the five by five program that we're doing it enough that we can recover from it. And we're going to see the gains and the benefits that we want. Um, I, very much like a higher frequency of training. I've done a variety of different frequencies myself, and it really depends on what am I doing, whether I can manage to go with an exercise three times a week, five times a week. Some cases might even only be two, two times a week. So you mentioned... Um you mentioned squats and we mentioned form and technique. As far as the squats go, as far as lifting heavy and, and allowing your body to adapt and, and seeing that progress, 
Um, me personally, I'm more of a low bar squat individual. I think as far as low bars go, I think you can get a lot more weight on there. I think your form and technique is, is more ideal. I think it stabilizes your, your core. I think you're going to be engaging everything. And the most important part is when it comes to a low bar, I think it takes a ton of pressure off of the spine. I do have one of my closest friends. They were all about the high bar squad. They were like, no, man, high bar is the way to go. I can get lower in a high bar. Um, I know each individual's body is different, but I, I do think when we're jumping into a 5 by 5 program or any program where you're lifting heavy and hard, I do think that technique is extremely important. It will prevent us from having injuries. In your honest, uh, honest opinion, being a exercise physiologist, when it comes to the realm of squats, is it more beneficial to do a high bar or is it more beneficial to do a low bar? I think it's more beneficial to squat. I think, you know, you get into this whole high bar, low bar, ass to grass, half squat, quarter squat argument. You're just wasting it breath you know you're just wasting energy i think you know you put the bar where it feels most comfortable i can't even tell you whether i do a high bar or low bar squat i have a position on my back where you know the bar fits comfortably if i go higher i have a very protrusive c7 you know spinous process uh, and the bar is gonna and it already rubs on that i got you know kind of a callus point there where the bar rubs. Uh, if I go higher, it's going to hurt like heck because it's hitting on that that bony protrusion. Um, if I go lower, I just can't stabilize the bar. So I, I can't honestly tell you whether I do high bar or low bar. I'd say just kind of find where the bar fits comfortably and position your feet, you know, starting at about shoulder width apart, drop down into a primal squat position, you know, a position where you could sit if, uh, and our bodies are well designed to be in a deep squat position, but that position is very different from individual to individual. So when you get into the varying body proportions, you know, I'm six foot five, very long legs, I'm going to squat differently than somebody who's six foot five with really short legs and a very, really long torso, but it doesn't matter. I squat the way I have to squat. And so I I get down, my recommendation is kind of get down into that squatting position, get as low as you can, find your foot position so that you can kind of sit your butt down and be comfortable. And that's how you should position yourself. And as you squat down, you know, some people are going to have a bit more vertical back position. Some are going to have a bit more forward lean, but you want to be able to get through that full range of motion, your full range of motion as best as possible. And don't worry about where the bar is positioned or, you know, how your your back is positioned as long as your vertebral column is braced and stable and by bracing we just mean you're maintaining that normal curvature of your spine by bringing in a lot of air into your belly and you know getting really tight maybe wearing a belt although if you're just starting a five by five i don't recommend wearing a belt because you want to strengthen your core muscles the belt is when you really start getting into heavier weights But being able to brace that spine, hold it in a stable position, then you're only flexing at the hip joint. And so the degree to which you flex is going to depend upon how your body has to move at the hip joint, the knee joint, and the ankle joint in order for you to get down into your full range of motion squat position. And so where you put the bar, high or low, doesn't necessarily matter. Yes, from a bodybuilding standpoint, if you're trying to load the quads more than the glutes, there might be a bit of difference in there. But the reality is, 
you want to lift an optimal amount of weight. And the optimal weight that you're going to lift is when the bar is positioned ideally for your body mechanics. See, I agree with your statement as far as just squat. Just squat. And what's cool about a 5 by 5 program, it is, it is super adaptable. You don't have to just use a barbell. You can use dumbbells. You can use kettlebells. You can use um, even just plates. Because a lot of individuals, they don't have the actual bar or they may not have an access to the gym. Um, as far as form and technique goes, I think you're absolutely right. I think depending on the person's natural biomechanics or how tall they are, they're either going to have an upright vertical or a slight angle from their hips. The one thing I do see a lot, especially being coming from a background of exercise science and, and teaching group exercise classes or working with um, one-on-one training in a, in a personal training environment with a client, um, the one number one thing I do see is a lot of individuals who they want to come in, they want to squat, and you show them, and then they tr- attempt to do what it is that you're doing. A lot of times they'll bring their heels up and their knees will go over their uh, toes, which obviously that's going to put them in risk of knee injuries. Something, and this may sound a little crude, but something that I always cue the individuals as far as doing a squat is to make sure that their feet are flat on the ground. And I tell them, I say, pretend that you're in the woods and you you have to go to the restroom and you don't want to poop on your shoes. And just, I know it seems kind of crude, but it allows them to stick their butt out and get either that 90 degree angle or lower than 90 degrees. And as they're coming up, they're coming all the way up and they're squeezing their glutes up at the top. But just that, that if you tell an individual who's never squatted before and you say, okay, do a squat. Individuals like you and me, we can do that. No problem. Perfect technique good form a novice individual they're gonna kind of kind of look like a a newborn deer so just having that cue of don't poop on your shoes it's it seems a little crude but it also gets that that mind connection with the body of okay i'm sticking it out um i i personally would probably disagree with that a bit um i think you know, and I've I've come through that era of exercise physiology that was kind of dictated by people that really didn't squat much. Um, in fact, one one of the highlights of my career started very early, right after my master's, when I was working at a gym in Pittsburgh, and we were doing this promotion, and one of the gentlemen working for the company that was doing the promotion was a guy by the name of Dave Draper. And when I met him, I was like, you know, that name sounds familiar. Should I know you? And he reminded me of the Dave Draper who was on the Beverly Hillbillies, which he was not. Uh, Dave, That Dave Draper was a well-known bodybuilder in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but this Dave Draper had been a strength coach for – the Michigan Panthers. Um, I think he did some work at the University of Michigan and a bunch of different roles and, you know, was pretty accomplished in his area. And we just got to talking about lifting and exercise and those types of things. And at one point he's like, yeah, these exercise physiologists, they're all a bunch of 160 pound weaklings. They've never lifted a weight in their life telling you not to do a full squat and just going off. And I'm just kind of biting my tongue here and waiting and he you know, turns to me and says, so what's your background? And I said, well, I have my master's degree in exercise physiology. And he looks at me and he says, you're not like the rest of them. And I took that as a huge compliment. Um, but I also realized that I was probably, no pun intended, or hamstrung a bit by you know, that mentality of protecting the knees in a squat, that you don't go too low because it's bad for the knees. And pushing the butt back so that your knees don't go over your toes. And for years, I was trying to squat in that way and having long 
limbs, it wasn't working for me. And as I'd get heavy, I'd start having back problems. And it wasn't until a few years ago where, you know, I had determined I was going to try and learn how to do a pistol squat, which is a single leg squat all the way down to the ground. Uh, I quickly realized that I don't have the right mechanics to be able to do that. But I determined that I needed to really focus in on my squat technique, whatever it was going to take to get to where I was going a full range of motion. And so I checked my ego at the door, went into my home gym, really lowered the weight down. I basically went down about 135 pounds on the bar and just found that low position for myself and just started working on maintaining that every repetition, getting as low as possible. And I realized that my knees had to go significantly over my toes to get down that low, which meant I had to work on ankle mobility. I had to work on being comfortable leaning a bit more into the weight, you know, so that I'm keeping the weight basically centered over my feet. But in order for me to get down that low position, I had to get my knees over my toes. And so I, you know, I've heard that cue a lot in the past. I had a, a boss years ago that used to kind of teach, it's like, you know, having, being a duck with your tail feathers and trying to stick your tail feathers into a bucket. Um, and it generally brings a person into a position where eventually they're not going to be able to squat as deep and as heavy. And, you know, we had a discussion in class a number of years ago. I had a student that said basically, you know, you can't squat heavy if you, you know, squat heavy and go ass to grass without hurting your back. And it was like, that's bull. Um, if you're getting hurt squatting, it's because you're squatting with too much weight or poor technique. Um, generally both. But if you find that position for yourself that you can get low and get low comfortably, it's going to be very different. Your shin position is going to be different. Your back angle is going to be different. But that is your squat position. And so I think for somebody just Get down into that squat position. Find where your feet need to be positioned width-wise as well as your toe angle. You know, because you'll hear cues sometimes, you know, your toes should be 15 degrees, 30 degrees. You know, everybody has a different angle. And it's generally what works for that individual, that person that's coaching them, not realizing that the person that they are coaching has very different, you know, hip mechanics and ankle mechanics and so on. Um, you know, I, I've had dancing students in the past that they, when they, you can tell a dancer because they stand, their toes are pointing out almost 90 degrees out to the side. Um, they have to squat probably a very different position than others. For me, um, it seems like it would be highly inefficient, but I am much better squatting with my feet just about shoulder width apart, my toes pointed out slightly, but you know, almost going my knees almost straight forward. Um, I cannot do a really wide squat. It just doesn't work for me. You know, a wide position and my toes really far out. So having somebody get into that position where they squat down, they find what's comfortable and say, okay, now stand up and squat down here. Do that repeatedly, find that position. And once they are doing that, then they have kind of got the basic mechanics. If, um, you know, the back kind of has difficulty figuring out where it needs to be, it, you need to load them up a little bit. They need a little bit of load to be able to kind of find where that proper brace and back position will be. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, it's just a matter of finding what works for them and then teaching them to consistently do that same movement no matter how much weight you have on there. So if I start a 5x5 five five program with a 45-pound bar on my back and I progress that to where I'm squatting 300 pounds, I should be squatting identically with 300 pounds on my back as I would with a 45-pound bar on my back. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I remember when I was getting certified to be a personal trainer, um, I remember they would, they would teach us these techniques to use those cues. And they said, um, at one point in time, this is back in 
2012 um, when I was getting certified with ACSM. And I had to take the test and it was not ideal for us to cue people to go below 90 degrees. And there's so much more research that's out there that it's so much beneficial for the knee and for the individual to go below 90 degrees and to get that astagrass. And if you think about it, the squat is really our very first exercise that we've ever done. Even when we're little, we're learning how to walk. If you see little kids, I mean, their butt is down to their heels and then they just kind of squat or stand up. And so I think it's really fascinating that you with your doctorates are saying like, yeah, just get low, get, try and get below 90. It actually will benefit your knees. It'll loosen up your hips. Like I'm, thank you because I do know that there are a lot of trainers out there that also believe exactly what you're saying. But unfortunately with their certification, they, they cannot give those particular cues unless they have a specific, I believe it's, um, it's a specific type of uh, performance training. So I'm really, I'm really glad that we're talking about getting lower than 90 degrees and just getting low and having the effects on the body. Yeah. And you talked about uh, the heels coming up and Mm -hmm. I think, and you know, it's, it's common also for people to try and correct those heels coming up by just simply putting a wedge underneath the heels or putting a weight underneath to raise the heels up. And I don't, I think that tends to defeat the purpose as well because you're compensating for some other inadequacy. And so the better thing is to work on that ankle mobility. And there's a lot of different techniques that you can do in order to improve the dorsiflexion at the ankle. And, you know, much of that you visually can't do on an audio podcast. But, you know, I would, you know, definitely recommend people just kind of Googling on it, increasing ankle mobility. Um, You know, it's really just a matter of maybe using some bands to pull the tibia anteriorly, you know, toward the toes, so that you open up that ankle joint so that it can flex more. And as you begin to stretch that all out, you're going to be able to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And sometimes the weight itself helps us to go a little bit deeper into that position. It may take warming up, you know, getting down into as low of an ankle position as you can and really just kind of focusing in on opening up that ankle joint um, as well as the hip joint so that you can, you know, maintain that greater mobility. But I would say, you know, there's no harm in... You know, again, checking the ego and going as light as possible, getting that full form and then progressing from there. Because if you have some level of strength, you're going to rebuild that strength pretty and, and really, you're not rebuilding any strength. You're just using the muscles properly to be able to go low. You know, yeah, you could squat 400 pounds going a quarter of the way down, but you, and you might only be able to do 135 pounds the whole way down. You're still using the same muscles, and you're activating those muscles through a fuller range of motion. You're going to get more benefit out of that time under tension. So, Beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, going back to the 5x5 program, I actually, before I came here, I looked up an article that was written by a certified personal trainer who has their degree in kinesiology, and his name is Tyler Reed. And according to Tyler, he says that the only exception to a 5 by 5 rule is the deadlift portion, in which you will perform one set of five. The, excuse me. His theory behind this is that when you're performing a deadlift, you're supposed to lift it super, super heavy. Um... They're one of the most demanding exercises that and doing them too often can easily lead to overtraining. Also performed that as your very last workout to avoid fatigued um, and core stability muscles that are needed for these movements. He also strongly suggests that you should be doing squats first during your exercises. Functionality is the most beneficial to improve the performance, to ensure reliability for standing when you're older and requires 
core stability. For some examples, you shouldn't be fatigued for your exercises while performing a squat and other exercises don't require you to stable the same weight pushing down on you and allow you to drop the weight safe to a failed rep. I kind of agree with that. I think you should be doing the squats first because that's when you have um, the most energy with you. And then you can go into the bench press or the rows. And then your next day when you're performing a, a deadlift, the only part I disagree with, I don't think you should just be doing one deadlift. I think you should try and get, you know, a minimum of three if you're lifting super heavy. But why why stick to one? Is that just hogwash or should we? Well, again, there... There's no, it's not hogwash. It's just very limited view of what people should be doing and not understanding that goals are different and the programming is going to be different based on the goals. Now, most people starting a five by five program, they're not deadlifting enough that five repetitions is going to be so much neurological and muscular fatigue that they're not going to be able to recover from it. Um, you can squat any number of repetition, I mean deadlift any number of repetitions effectively and safely. Um, you know, the heavier you start getting and if your goals are more hypertrophy, the deadlift is not a great exercise for hypertrophy. I'd prefer probably more like a Romanian deadlift. But you know, to do one repetition, you know, heavy is heavy. And when we talk about really heavy, one repetition is really heavy. 12 repetitions is less heavy when you look at the total amount of weight being lifted. It, you know, so you're talking about absolute intensity. If you talk relative intensity, you know, it's how much you're doing relative to your, your actual maximum, um, you know, your five repetition maximum is your five repetition maximum. That's going to be hard. You know, five repetitions performed at a moderate weight might be more fatiguing, more difficult for somebody than doing one really heavy repetition. You know, so it's, it, it's, it's tough to make that evaluation unless you're looking at the individual. I, I think it really comes down to what are your goals and really how much are you lifting? And the more you're, you're deadlifting, maybe the less frequently you have to do it from a neuro neurological standpoint. But if you're recovering from it, you're okay. There's different viewpoints on the five by five and the deadlift. And off the top of my head, I'm not even sure what um, the uh, strong lifts recommends. I think they might actually even go fewer sets of the five, but you know, it, if you do five and you're able to recover, you're doing a weight that you can do five. So it's not going to be harmful to you. If you're going really, really heavy and you need more time to recover, you know, doing too many sets really, really heavy is going to be too taxing for the body. So it really comes down to what are the goals and what, what, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with it? And for the average person, Worrying about that is just too much senseless worry. I would say, you know, stick with a five by five. And as you're getting stronger and you start reprogramming, then maybe, you know, you, you might go to less. You know, you might go to a five by three or, you know, only do uh, one working set of five repetitions at a heavy weight. I'd have to go back to what all you said with it, with the article there, but, um, you know, I think there's some logic in there, but I think it's also, you know, there's it's too nuanced to just make absolute statements when it comes to that. Right. Well, I mean, I I understand the his theory and his thought process as far as a just doing one rep on a on a deadlift because it can be you're putting a lot of strain on the body. Um but by putting that strain, you, there's a ton of benefits with it, right? Deadlifts are awesome, but it can be really exhausting. So I understand his theory is, you know, I don't want any of my clients to get fatigued. But like you said, for a novice who's just getting started, 
focus on form and technique. Push yourself, but know your body's limits. Knowing your body limit and pushing yourself within a five by five program, what's what is your opinion on a rest period? Because I know ideally studies show that, you know, in a five by five, 60 seconds is 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 ideal. Um, I know when you're lifting in that realm of heavy, you should be going about 90 to two minutes, depending, or if it's in a hypertrophy style, 30 seconds in between each set. What's, what's your opinion for the five by five program for an individual who's just getting started? I I think that's a good point to say my opinion, because, you know, when you cite the research literature, I think, you know, there's a lot of flaws in, exercise training research because you're dealing with limited populations, you're dealing with limited time periods, you're dealing with limited samples of the population, and everybody responds differently. So I, I take any training study with a bit of a grain of salt. Um, but when it comes to recovery, you know, I think the most important thing is that you are adequately recovered to be able to do the next set. Now, there is some argument that, you know, the, the shorter the rest period, the, the better the stimulus for hypertrophy uh, because you're, you're basically keeping the muscles fatigued. You're, you're, you're getting a little closer to maintaining a little bit more time under tension with the muscle. Um, and from a strength standpoint, your goal is to optimize technique under the heaviest load, and so longer rest is more important. So... Anywhere from probably a 30 to 60 second recovery period up to about three to five minutes is, is going to be an appropriate rest level. Um, the longer you're, re- you're using time to recover is, in my opinion, for most of us who are just lifting for general fitness, general strength, and not lifting for maximal performance from an athletic standpoint, you know, we're not power lifters, we're not Olympic lifters. If you're recover, you know, if you're taking three to five minutes to recover between sets, your workout has extended dramatically. And most of us don't have that much time to contribute to exercise. I mean, one of the biggest excuses that people have for not working out is they don't have time. So if you don't have time, then why the hell are you doing three to five minute rests right. between sets? You know, make it shorter, do supersets, those types of things. Because obviously, with the short amount of time that you're able to commit to working out, you're not going to have those huge results that are going to come where you're going to need to recover for three to five minutes. Well, I, that's, I also think that's why a five by five program is a is a good thing to talk about for individuals that are just getting started is you don't need that much time, you know, give yourself three days a week or five days a week. Like you said, it really doesn't matter. Just get moving, give yourself that time frame. get your exercises in and go from there. Yeah. And I mean, that can be any program. I mean, I could give you thousands of programs that can be accomplished in three days a week, five days a week, whatever, uh, I am a huge proponent of breaking up the workouts into smaller, more frequent training sessions because that removes a lot more of the excuses that we might have. You know, I, I actually prefer two workouts a day, uh, six days a week is my ideal uh, because if I miss something, you know, if I can't get up early in the morning or something comes up that I can't do a morning workout, I have the afternoon to kind of do something or, you know, if I, I usually put my weights in the morning because that's more my priority. Cardio tends to go in the afternoons. And if I, if I miss that cardio workout, it's not such a big deal. And, or I can shorten it up. And so the goal is to do something and to do something frequently enough to get benefit from it and do it at an intensity high enough to do it. And so if all you can do is three times a week, you know, the five by five program can be done in probably less than 40 minutes, which is probably ideal for strength and hypertrophy gains anyhow for most people, unless you're a bodybuilder. So, yeah, I mean, do what you can do in the time frame that you have available and then build towards being able to do more uh, 
so that we can see better gains over time. So what's your opinion on a deloading phase? Because I know that the benefits of a light week is to help prevent um, fatigue. And I do believe that the studies show that during your light week, you're going to want to drop your weight by 50% and then slowly increase after that. What's your opinion on a deloading phase? Uh, I mean, deloads, there's a a lot of different approaches to deloads. And I think when you're taking off that whole week where you're going down to 50% or less load, uh, that's generally when you are in a more intermediate to advanced level. I think a lot of the beginners don't necessarily need to do a full-out deload uh, because they just haven't stressed the body enough to, to require that. But it is a bit more optimal to probably anywhere from about every four to six or eight weeks to decrease the load or change the load a little bit more. So if you are doing, you know, five by five, I mean, five by five, generally you're going to progress that until you, you kind of plateau. But when you get to the point where you're able to kind of be hitting that maximum recoverable volume and you need time for your body to recover. You know, the whole point of the maximum recoverable volume, you exceed that a little bit, you overreach, your body's going to need a little bit more time to adapt from that. And so we progress the program over, say, a four-week period where we start a little closer to the minimum effective volume. Every session, every workout, we're adding a little bit more load to where by the time we get to the end of the cycle, it's a bit harder to recover from that. Then we use the deload to allow the body to more adequately re- recover. During that period of time, we could be doing other things that maybe we're in a bit more of a deficit. You know, maybe you need to work on exercises that might improve some of the like hip mobility, hip strength, or rotator cuff strength, or you know, different things like that. There's a lot of different things that you can inco- incorporate into your deload weeks to keep them still productive, but. In some cases, it may just be a matter of, after that four weeks, changing the nature of the training that you do. And I can't recall off the top of my head the the phrase that Charles Stanley uses for it, but I think it's fatigue specificity is what he talks about, is that our bodies become overly fatigued to a specific stimulus. And so if we change that stimulus and, you know, so maybe we're changing the reps, you know, so rather than doing five reps, we go to a 10 repetition load. Well, you don't necessarily have to deload from that because you're starting your 10 reps at a more moderate load that your body's able to adequately recover from. You're using the muscle fibers and your neurons a little bit differently, and then you progress with that. And so, you know, a deload may just simply be a shift in the programming to where now you go to a different rep scheme or you know different intensity and you know drop that down closer to its minimum effective volume and then progressing up again. Um, so I think a deload is important. It becomes a lot more important the more advanced we become in our training. Well said. Um, Last thing I just kind of want to talk about as far as the recovery phase and and that is sleep. I think that sleep is completely underrated. I think that we don't get enough of it, whether you're a beginner, whether it's just life hits you, whether you're a senior citizen. I just think that sleep is our number one tool in order to help the body fully, fully recover and it's, it's kind of overlooked. Um, can we just kind of discuss the benefits of sleep right before or sleep for an individual, especially when they're in the realm of training, not just in a five by five program, but in any aspect of life, the importance of sleep and the recovery that it has on the body? Well, I mean, that's when your body is adapting. It's, it's adapting during sleep. That's our body is essentially not shutting down, but it's slowing down. It's kind of into its resting metabolism. It's really just giving the body the opportunity to replenish, restore, 
both the energies that we need, you know, taking all the foods that we're breaking down, we're digesting food, we're releasing that in the system, we're rebuilding cells, we're rebuilding hormones, enzymes, all the things in the body all occur during rest. And the body just needs that time to adequately recover. And if we're not giving our bodies adequate time to recover, we're not going to recover. And so general recommendations are going to be anywhere from about six to eight hours of sleep per night, you know, no matter how hard you're training. And I think we need to, as adults, get back to a bedtime and a waking time and be consistent with that. Powerful. Yeah. I mean, too often, you know, we just kind of do everything that we have to do and, and then we go to bed and sometimes it's too late and then you have to get up early and it's really a struggle to get up. You know, just plan your six to eight hours, you know, probably more like seven hours and go to bed at that time, go to bed consistently, get up at a consistent time and that's going to have an overall much greater benefit to your your recovery and your adaptability. So it's just part of your routine then? Yeah, it should be part of your routine, bedtime. Okay. So you did mention recovery. You did mention um, nutrition. I know there's going to be an individual that that's while they're listening to this, that's going to spike a question like, "Well, what about uh, what about EAAs or BCAAs right before bed? Should I take those to help recover to get the the protein in my blood to help with that?" I know your opinion on um, supplements and taking it. Do you want to even address that question of, uh, yeah, I'll do it quickly so that we don't get too long into today's podcast. But, um, I mean, supplementation, especially, uh, you know, you're talking about branch chain amino acids, you know, what are branch chains? amino amino acids, they're amino acids. Where do we get amino acids? We get it from eating protein. You know, our body can adequately break down the proteins that we eat and use them where they're needed in the body. Now, if you are an elite athlete and you're training very extensively, there may be some benefit to consuming branched-chain amino acids. But the reality is your body breaks down protein, it releases it into your system, and it's going to use it to rebuild muscle. And if you're eating frequently and adequate protein, you don't need to waste your money on all that crap. I, and I, I think we, we tend to get fed a lot of BS when it comes to supplementation you know when we talk at a later date kind of about weight management and you know the role that supplementation plays in weight management it's like five percent and it's like the last five percent it's like getting that last little bit of body comp out of it the most important thing is are you are you lifting properly are you getting your carbohydrates so you're getting your macros your proteins and fats and you know are you getting hydration and are you getting your sleep you're doing all those things, and now you're kind of at that most advanced level of performance, then maybe supplementation might get you a little bit more in there. But you know, if you're squatting 135 pounds, taking branched-chain amino acids are not going to be a tremendous benefit in terms of improving that, that squat. Now, if you are squatting 400 pounds, it may be enough to allow you to push a little bit more. But, you know, most of us are not at that position. So don't waste the time, the energy, the money in any of those types of supplements. Just get adequate protein throughout the day. You know, figure out what your body needs. And I generally recommend about one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Divide that up over your number of meals, you're good to go. If you're eating protein, it takes time for protein to break down. And so over the course of time as you're sleeping, that protein is getting dumped out into your system. It's going to the muscles. It's rebuilding the muscles. It's building the cellular structures. You're going to be good. Um, You know, if you really are a bit more concerned about the proteins and getting into the muscles, a whey protein shake in conjunction with your workout, you know, roughly in that window around the workout can be beneficial. Uh, maybe casein protein at the end of the night uh, before bed to get something that's a little bit more slow releasing into the blood. Um, that may be beneficial. But again, if you're eating a protein meal, it, it's digesting over the course of the night. So um, as long as you're eating good quality protein, 
you don't need any of that stuff. Okay. Let's do an overview. Um, it is a new year. It is a new you. We just provided you with information on a five by five program. Lift heavy, lift hard, but focus on form and technique. Allow your body to um, tell you warning signs of fatigue. Listen to it. If you are going to be training with an individual, make sure it's a spotter that knows what they're doing. Focus on sleep. Sleep is important for the body's recovery. Get yourself in not only a workout routine, but also a sleep routine as well that will complement it. And don't necessarily focus on, oh, should I take this supplement or that supplement? You can get everything that you need in a well-balanced diet. Just make sure that you're taking in enough protein. And most importantly, keep aging well. Thank you for listening. I hope you benefited from today's podcast. And until next time, keep aging well.